Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Because we just got guys who love to play basketball. At the end of the day... um, you know, guys that love to play ball and love, and that's what they do every single day. Um, I love that. I love that, and I think uh, you know, you know, Palinka and, and Magic loved it, you know, as well. And that's why they made the signings and bringing Lance and Javale and, and Bees and Rondo, uh, guys that just every day they wake up, they think about the game of basketball, you know, and everything else is secondary. So. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where the summer of LeBron valiantly trucks on as everything the king touches continues to turn to gold. From restoring this Lakers franchise back to its golden trophy dreaming ways of championship contention, to quite literally adding a splash of new gold to the Lakers' updated, sleek, retro icon jerseys for this upcoming season. Although some will complain that it looks more yellow than gold, but, you know, people are always going to find something to complain about. But anyways, from that to, lastly and most importantly, setting the golden standard for what a philanthropist and humanitarian should be with the opening of his I Promise Elementary School in Ohio for at-risk kids, 
All in all, through and through, LeBron James has been a transcendent figure this entire summer in more ways than one, and we are all better off for it. Alan, your quick thoughts on LeBron's I Promise School and his very commendable and inspirational initiative to help the youth out. The youth that he has such a deep passion for because of his own upbringing. Man, LeBron is just such a smart guy. I mean, the first thing that stood out to me were a lot of the pictures that he released of the campus, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly sure what part of the school it is, but it looks like it's like the main entrance and there are these like kind of spiral type staircases. And it just shows like how much thought went into this that LeBron would want to make this place, this school so aesthetically appealing because Mm -hmm. I think any of us, for example when we're transitioning from high school to college and we go on campus visits, we want to like, some of us really value the, uh, the look of a campus. Like, oh, wow, it's such a beautiful school. And I love the brick layout of USC or the old school feel of this campus and whatever. And there, I think there's something to be said about how that could affect a person's mentality at school. And that's mm-hmm. one thing that stood out to me as far as um, just how the school like looks so incredible. It, it must raise the self-esteem of all these kids just by stepping onto that campus. So that's the the first thing that struck me is, wow, this place looks amazing. And it would make someone really want to learn there. And then obviously everything else. I mean, I, I heard, I'm pretty sure all of LeBron's comments, at least that were made public, um, as far as like talking to the media amongst all the other politicians and school board members, um, he, he's just so genuine, you mm-hmm. know? And it, it's almost like, he's already entering like that next phase of, I I don't want to say his career, but just of his life. And he's been doing that as time has gone on, but really now as a, was he 33? Yep. It's like, he's hitting that like self-actualization point of his life. And he was saying how he was more excited and like nervous and anxious about this moment than any other time in his NBA career or anything like that. So it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was really amazing. And we are very privileged and blessed to be in this moment with LeBron just having become a Laker. And for me, the most amazing thing is, you know, I said he's transcending sports and basketball right now, and he is. And, and I mentioned it on Twitter, but when you have some something momentous like this in your life that you're nervous about and you're ready to unveil to the public that's about to change the lives of so many kids and future kids, when, when something like this in your life happens and, and you're reinvigorated, even including the fact that his son is growing up before his eyes, that type of stuff trickles down to every aspect and area of your life. And I wouldn't be surprised if it happened in basketball as well in terms of his on-court play. You know, when, yeah. when you have such a reinvigoration in this area, it's going to be in conjunction with everything else in your life, especially when you see how meticulous he's been with this initiative alone. You don't think he's going to be that meticulous with every other aspect in his life. It's almost like when, when the cylinders are lined up. And I think that's what you were kind of alluding to or getting at, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, as a Lakers fan, as a LeBron James fan, don't take this moment for granted. We are very, very lucky to have a player like this who's so societally conscious and really cares about the welfare of human beings and the youth and just what this school is all about, right? Free tuition, free uniforms, free bicycle and helmet, free transportation within two miles, free breakfast, lunch, and snacks, GEDs and job placement services for the kids' parents, 
guaranteed tuition to the University of Akron for every student who graduates. That is life changing. So and awesome, dude. I got I know. chills just hearing that again, you know? It, it kind of takes you away from the whole basketball aspect of things and then only gets you more excited and hyped when you realize, oh, this guy also plays basketball and he's the best in the game to do it. So, I mean, it, it's it's amazing. And um, yeah, you know, tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about Rajon Rondo. And uh, we've got a special guest on tonight. His name is Ali Cassell. He is a beat writer for SB Nation's The Bird Calls, which is a New Orleans Pelicans blog. He's also a credentialed writer for the Pelicans, so he covers them throughout the season. He's going to talk to us about Rajon Rondo, what happened with the DeMarcus Cousins negotiations, and also what happened with Julius Randle and the Pelicans' pursuit of Julius Randle this summer and even beforehand. So check that out in just a bit. But before we get to that, as usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us, that's how many additional students will be admitted to LeBron's I Promise School in the upcoming years. And that's how many students will effectively have the entire course of their future change for the better, all because the best basketball player in the world cared enough to help them out. So definitely rate and review us on iTunes for that. Hey, um, I'll, I'll guarantee you one thing. Mm. It's going to do a lot better than uh, Michael Scott's tots. <laughs> Michael Scott's <laughs> Hey, do you remember the song for that? The little chant that they did? <laughs> oh, shoot. I feel like Damn I just it, saw I this rerun it. fairly recently, but uh, no. That's that's very funny. The Office, Scott's Tots, indeed. This is definitely going to do better than that. Ah, oh, shoot. What did he give that one kid who complained about him at the end of the episode? Batteries or something? <laughs> Batteries, that's right, yeah. <laughs> that's not what LeBron James is doing here, so please rate and review us at iTunes. So more of those kids who got disappointed in Scott's Tots will have a better future with LeBron's I Promise School. All right, with that said, we're going to turn it over to my talk with Ali Cosell of The Bird Rights, a New Orleans Pelicans blog. We are going to be talking a lot about Rajon Rondo. Um, Alan, how, how do you feel about Rajon Rondo now, just quickly? Oh, I feel fine about him, honestly. I think we've talked about it before. Mainly the fact that he can mentor Lonzo, I guess, is one of the biggest things. I think everyone on this team, as a matter of fact, can learn so much from him. Um, Everyone knows that he has basketball IQ that is way off the charts. What people have an issue with is his time with the Mavericks and with the Kings and even with the Bulls, except for the playoffs. Um Everyone thinks back to that. Now, if you look at him in Boston and if you look at him in New Orleans, especially in the playoffs, like, you know, he played very well. And uh, if you listen to interviews, even beyond the one that everybody's about to hear right now, people will say that he's a great locker room guy and teammates respect him and and all that kind of stuff. And again, he's just a very eccentric dude. Um, He's a guy who will. And again, we, we may have mentioned this before, but if he sees a plot hole in a movie or a television show, he'll like walk out of the theater or he'll just stop watching that show and be so upset with the fact that it doesn't make sense that he'll like demand a refund or something. So the guy's a little crazy in that way, but um, I don't know. I I think it would be fun actually to play with a guy that is a little bit, you know, quirky in that sense. 
Oh, absolutely. And LeBron James said it in his interview this past week with Rachel Nichols when he was asked about the Lakers signings and why he likes Rajon Rondo, Michael Beasley, Lance Stevenson. And he just said, hey, these guys love to play basketball. Basketball comes first to them. They love the game. Everything else is secondary. And I want to play with guys who are that devoted and committed to the game. And Rajon Rondo is that devoted and committed to the game. In fact, he's the type of guy who expects and extracts the best out of you. The only time when things get problematic is if he knows that you're bullshitting you know he's the type of guy that he sees through everything because he's that smart and the best way to get on Rajon Rondo's level is to make sure you're on top of your game and Ali Cosell helps us contextualize all of that including the Dallas Mavericks situation and why overall it's just honestly just been a lot of misconceptions with regards to Rajon Rondo and how he's kind of tailed off recently in the, in the minds of casual NBA fans. But yeah, please check out our interview with Ali Cosell coming up next after the term. Are you interested in being a mentor to some of these guys, especially a guy like Lonzo? It has to be. You know, it's, it's only right. I think the game has gotten away from that uh, as far as having vets in the league to say what to mentor the young guys and show them the ropes as far as how to even become a man. You know, it's not necessarily on the court, but just you know, life issues that happen off the court. Uh, I've been through a lot of it and, and a lot of vets on my team have as well. Hey, this is Brian from the Almighty Baller Podcast Network here to talk about keeps. So there's just no two ways to say it. Losing hair is awful. Nobody wants to go through it, and two out of three guys are going to experience hair loss by the time they're 35. This is the world we live in, people. Now, I personally haven't started this you know, downturn, but I got a couple of people close to my life that go through it, and they always say, should have started it sooner rather than later. So anyways, these FDA-approved products used to cost so much, but now, thanks to Keeps, they're finally inexpensive and easy to get. For five minutes, now and starting just $10 per month, you'll never have to worry about hair loss again. So they've ironed out the process. Basically, you just take a photo of your hair and you shoot it over and a licensed physician will review the information and recommend the right treatment to you and then, boom, shipped right to your door every three months. So Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month. Uh, plus now you can get your first month free uh, to, to what? To keep your hair. So come on, what are we talking about here? To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com slash almighty. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash almighty. That's a free month of treatment at keeps.com slash almighty. Keeps hair today, hair tomorrow. All right, tonight we have on editor-in-chief of SB Nation's Pelicans blog, The Bird Writes, and credentialed New Orleans Pelicans writer, Ali Cosell to help us unpack who Rajon Rondo has evolved into over his career as a basketball player, as a person, and as a teammate, and what the Lakers can expect next year from their newest veteran point guard. Thank you for hopping on with us tonight. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Good to talk a little Rajon Rondo, I guess, one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure you've been doing this a lot this offseason. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, everybody was <laughs> surprised by the decision, actually, of him leaving. Nobody expected this. DeMarcus Cousins, we figured, was out the door, but not Rondo. So, yeah, it's been a surprise, and it hasn't died down enough yet. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, before we get started, though, Ollie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and plug any of your socials and, and anything you have coming down the pipeline for the bird rights and, uh, I guess, just what you do when the actual season starts for the Pelicans. Yeah, we, I've been following the Pelicans now ever since, uh, let me see, I moved out to Mobile. This was about 10 years ago, but I just recently moved back about a couple of years ago, and I decided to actually go ahead and get a credential and be able to nice. go to every game and, and uh, 
watch them live and uh, right after every game and, you know, just basically do everything that every uh, beat writer does. So it's been a great experience, gotten up close, and we put all of our stuff right there on the bird rights, as you've mentioned. It's an SB Nation site for the New Orleans Pelicans, and we're very strong presence on Facebook and on Twitter. All the same name. It's just one word, the bird rights. And we've got something daily up there, podcasts, articles, you name it. Cool. And where can people find you personally on social media? Sure. And that's that my, just my full name, both on Facebook and on Twitter. That's Ollie Cosell. And it's a weird spelling. So it's O-L-E-H-K-O-S-E-L. So just add an at in front of that and they've got you, right? That's right. Awesome. Okay. So before we get into the actual Rajon Rondo talk, let's talk about the intertwining fate of the Pelicans and Lakers this offseason. Obviously, DeMarcus Cousins shocked the NBA world by choosing to sign with the Golden State Warriors. And I guess in essence, it was a bit of a middle finger to the New Orleans Pelicans. And the after effect of that move is, I guess for the Lakers and Pelicans this offseason, it's been a case of one man's trash is another man's is another man's treasure. In less harsh terms than that, obviously, because Randall and Rondo are not trash. But in, in essence, they did end up swapping places. But before that happened, can you take us through just the DeMarcus Cousins negotiations and and what really went down? Because from his point of view, he's saying he was disrespected and he didn't get the offer that he wanted. Is it true that he did get offered $20 million for two years and he just wasn't enough to par with what he was expecting? So because of that, he just did an about face and decided to sign with the Warriors. Okay, sure. And it's a long story, so be prepared. <laughs> okay. Marcus Cousins, you really got to go back to before his injury. And that was he had pretty much a deal with the Pelicans where they would retain him and they were going to pay him a max contract deal uh, once the season ended. But, of course, that Achilles injury tear changed everything. Yet in DeMarcus's eyes, it really shouldn't have. He still thinks he's going to return and be the same player. He's still deserving of everything that he was going to get. So he, in essence, didn't like the fact that the Pelicans first started, when they first started negotiating with him kind of underneath the table, uh, it was going to be for a much smaller uh, length contract, and that was two years. And then roughly the figures always bounced around um, at, at the starting point for about $40 million over those two years. But mm-hmm. as time wore on and once free agency began, that offer kind of started dropping. And uh, I don't think he ever got a true offer sheet because he he basically didn't want to sign for anything less than anything close to a max deal. But Mm -hmm. once he started exploring the market, he found out that there indeed was no market for him. Um, And and I think his people kind of did him a disservice by kind of either giving him the wrong advice or not giving him the right advice, which was, hey, the Pelicans offer is probably going to be the best, best one. So you should take it. Instead, he, he decided to go out on his own, and that's why all these phone calls, you heard about him making all these phone calls, reaching out mm-hmm. to people after a few days in free agency, and one of those people that picked up were the Golden State Wars. So in his mind, he, he wasn't going to come back to New Orleans at anything, like I said, anything close or for anything a lot significantly less than what he thought he was worth, which, of course, is a max deal worth about $30 million starting next year. Obviously, nobody's going to pay him that coming off as of, an injury like that, especially since we don't know when he's going to be back on the court. From what I've heard, do not expect him back definitely before the start of the 2019 um, calendar year and most likely not until the All-Star game. 
So, of course, that's a lot of money to pay for somebody that's going to be sitting on the sidelines, and you're right. not even sure what you're going to get at the end of the day. So I think the New Orleans Pelicans were really smart with their negotiations to keep dropping that offer because there was no market. And they do. They're not the Golden State Warriors, Jonathan, as everybody mm -hmm. knows. Um, they can't have one of their biggest uh, salaried players sitting on the sidelines for, you know, Lord knows how long and when you're just struggling to make the playoffs. So they went about the right direction. DeMarcus kind of held out, and obviously he got then stuck with taking what was pretty much close to um, the MLE, the taxpayer MLE money. And so that's how it basically both parties went their own ways. That was the best offer DeMarcus could have gotten. Now, there were rumors, and I, I've gotten some pretty good, reliable sources that tell me that he could have still made about double that amount, anywhere, say, from like the 9 to a $12 million range if he would have agreed to a sign and trade. Portland was one of the teams out there, and there were several others. So, again, he didn't want to do that. He wanted to dictate his own future, and that's why you saw him end up with Golden State at that shockingly low price of $5.3 <laughs> Yeah, what a, what a crazy kind of topsy-turvy offseason and negotiation with DeMarcus Cousins and the Pelicans this year. I, I, I think I also heard that he wanted to go to the Lakers for about the same money as the Warriors, but the Lakers also had the same concerns that the Pelicans did in terms of they can't afford to, in LeBron's first year, to just have somebody sitting on the sidelines no matter how low the cost. And so do you know if that's if there was any truth to that rumor that after negotiations with the Pelicans broke down that he then pivoted to the Lakers and unfortunately the Lakers just couldn't take his injury on and, and the fact that they might not be getting him till January, February. Yeah, right. Once the Dallas Mavericks agreed to terms with DeAndre Jordan, that's when his market completely crashed. And mm -hmm. what I learned later was that I don't think the Lakers were at all interested in him. I mm -hmm. think this was partially, a very actually not partially, completely agent-driven on his side as to where they were trying to create a market, especially after, like I said, DeAndre Jordan signed with Dallas. And the Lakers were the next best bet because they still had plenty of cap space at the time. There had been rumors, of course, in the past of Cousins probably or possibly going to Los Angeles. But from what I heard, L.A. was never, never, never entertaining the thought of signing him. So mm. you know, that's why I think, again, I think that's why he reached out to what was it? The Boston Celtics, I heard, and the Golden State Warriors kind of as, as you know, hey, I'll, I'll play for whatever minimum amount or, you know, whatever you think you can spend on me. And uh, we'll go from there for one year. That's very interesting. Okay, so with regards to you guys signing Julius Randle, it, it's funny because the DeMarcus Pelicans breakdown, it almost parallels the way that negotiations fell apart with the Lakers and Julius Randle's agent, Aaron Mintz. It kind of ended on a sour note. Julius Randle did not want to come back. They honored that, renounced him, and now he's with you guys. Do you know if... Even after the Pelicans signed Julius Randle, they were still holding out hope to retain DeMarcus Cousins? Or at that point, was Julius Randle the de facto replacement and they were happy with it and, and that was it? I think once they secured him, um, that is getting Julius Randle right after, a few hours after the Rajon Rondo made his decision uh, to go to LA, that they were all in on then Randle. And of course, they already had Alfred Payton in the wings. But from what I had heard, I, I can't say 100% certainty on this, Jonathan, but I did hear that they were still willing to take DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, at what price, okay. I have no idea. But even with Randall in tow, of course, we had DeMarcus Cousins' bird rights. So it wouldn't have been an issue on giving him a lot more than what Golden State Warriors offered. But again, I don't know how high 
supposedly the Pelicans were going. But I, I think really we just need to move on from this because even if you would have come back and you've got to realize this, you know, when you're a high max, one of these top tier players and suddenly you come back for a lot less than you expected or wanted to, it just creates that bad environment in the locker room. And we already all know DeMarcus Cousins' history, which is not a very good one. So I think it was just best for both parties to move up their separate ways. And I won't be surprised if the New Orleans Pelicans just honestly decided after the Randall signing, just, hey, maybe we should, we, we're better off without him. Even though, like I said, I had heard rumors that they still were willing to bring him on. Sure. I guess now I want to ask you, and we'll get into Rondo right after this, but what do New Orleans Pelicans fans think of Julius Randle? And, and what are you guys envisioning for his role? Is he going to start over Meritich and be uh, Anthony Davis's second in command? His, and, and they're going to form some Basham Bros duo there. Lakers fans saw tremendous growth from Julius Randle last year on the defensive end as a guy who expanded his game, being able to play small ball five and actually hone in on that defensive end. He was actually much better defending the perimeter than he was as a rim protector. But all in all, we saw tremendous strides from Julius Randle from being a better roller, being a guy who was more committed on defense, a guy who played within himself a little bit more. And and mostly, he just changed his body over one summer, essentially. Became more athletic, became more chiseled, became more cut. And it, it was sad to see him go, in, in all honesty. We, a lot of us considered him a part of our young core, along with Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma. And we were hoping that he could be a small ball five next to LeBron James. And so when negotiations broke down with him and Mintz, and that relationship seemed irreparable, we were saddened by it. So in that respect, how, how are New Orleans Pelicans receiving Julius Randle as a free agent and as a, as a new team member to the Pelicans this year? And what, what do you guys envision for him? Sure. Well, I will say that New Orleans is enamored with him. That's probably the best word mm. to describe uh, him on behalf of the city and all, all basketball fans. We were supposedly interested, or I should say Del Demps, the front office, were interested in acquiring Randall last year uh, before the trade deadline. But I'm not sure how far those talks got, but I'm pretty sure they didn't get too far simply because the Pelicans didn't have much to offer for what they wanted in return, which I think they were trying to package up Clarkson and Randall at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Or at least Randall with one of your bad contracts. But, of course, that didn't happen. But Del Demps has supposedly been high on Randall ever since he entered the league. And, honestly, he's made so much improvements in his game since that first season um, that, mm-hmm. you know, he, 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 he's, he's almost like that perfect fit next to Anthony Davis. When, you, when we all delved into the numbers and looked at his game, and I'll tell you what, every time we played the Lakers, we loved watching him go up against <laughs> Anthony Davis because, you know what, he never backed down. He wasn't scared. And, you know, he was like a bulldog. We were always afraid AD was going to get hurt because you've got Julius Randle going so hard, diving after balls, um, and and he's so physical. We really thought AD would honestly get hurt in one of those matchups (laughs) in one of those games. Thankfully, it didn't happen. But, no, we've always been a fan of him. But he's really made some significant strides this past year even as to where he's become one of the best finishers around the rim. And even though, you know, opposing defenses know exactly what his game is, and that's anything inside below the free throw line, you, you can't stop the guy. He's ferocious. He's, he's a good passer. And he's getting a little bit better with the turnovers. And, and his defense has shown much improvement as to where there's flashes now of a good defender in there. So yep. he seems to be like the prototypical fit next to Anthony Davis where you want kind of a bruiser. We've always dreamed of having a bruiser next to Anthony Davis. You know, we've always had those uh, spot-up shooters like the Ryan Andersons. Last year we got Meritage. We still have never offered that third look where AD can go ahead 
hang around the perimeter, pick and choose his spots on attacking the rim, as where some other guy did all the dirty work. Um, you know, Omer Ashik, he, he, he's never been the same player almost ever since he got to New Orleans. Alexei Agenso was a disappointment. So we never had that physical big guy until now. So there's a lot of hope that Randall will be that guy. And I, on behalf of myself, and I, I want to say the majority, I mean, at, at one time it was split, but I think that he's going to draw the start next, next to Anthony Davis and Miritich is going to come off the bench. Now, there's some prominent people that are going the other way. For instance, Joel Myers, who used to be a longtime broadcaster of the Lakers, yep. he thinks that Miritich is going to be the one starting alongside Anthony Davis and Randall coming off the bench. But the reason I don't see it as such is uh, the Pelicans basically not only are auditioning Randall, but you know they've got him only just for one season. I know yes. he signed a two-year contract, but th- th- that's a player option in the second year, and you know we've already get, gotten a bargain. Uh, you know, Bobby Marks suggests that he should be making at least 12 to $14 million a year. And we signed him for what? 8.6, the full MLE money. So that, that's a steal in itself. So I think what the Pelicans are going to do is they're going to try and appease him. And one of the ways you do it, of course, is throw him in a starting lineup. Luke Walton, you know, we saw what happened last year when he didn't start him at the start mm-hmm. of the season. And uh, there was a lot of trouble supposedly brewing there between Randall and Luke Walton and maybe several, you know, other people in the locker room. So obviously the New Orleans Pelicans need to avoid that. They don't have Rajon Rondo anymore in the locker room to kind of keep everybody settled. So you don't want to create any other unnecessary distractions. And and you know what? Miritich and Randall, they're all going to see about the same amount of time on the court. Everybody envisions, you know, the three guys, Davis, Randall, and Miritich, all pretty much soaking up the 96 minutes that are available at both the four and the five. So it really, truly doesn't matter who starts. But again, if you ask me, I think it's going to be Randall's going to get the start. Yeah, no. And it's pretty much a, a prove it, a prove it kind of year for Randall, because like you said, it, it's a de facto one year contract for him. And I'm assuming he wants to become a free agent in 2019 when the when everybody has money and everybody has cap space. So he's definitely I'm sure he's going to bring it for the Pelicans next year. And yeah, it was a, it was a great get for you guys. And Ollie, all I can say is please treat him well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, people are already excited, Jonathan. So I don't think that would be a problem. Uh, you might not see it, but I'm crying right now. There's like a single tear that's falling down my cheek. Um, But yes, Julius Randle, he is a tremendous human being and basketball player and shown a lot of maturation, very well-spoken guy. And um, yeah, you guys are going to love him. With that said, we had a flip-flop of sorts this summer where Randle went out on one end for us, but then we received your guys' Rajon Rondo on the other end. So where did Rondo fit in terms of the Pelicans' plans? I, I had heard that Anthony Davis wasn't too pleased with his departure, and maybe communication lines had broken down in that respect as well. What do Pelicans fans, what do they think and feel about letting Rondo go? And does getting Alfred Payton kind of alleviate that departure? Okay, well, first, we were completely shocked. Everybody, nobody saw this coming. Uh, at, at the end of the season, and of course, leading up to the postseason, Everybody saw how the team came together under Rondo, and particularly it was Rondo, Holiday, and Davis. They were Mm -hmm. steering the ship, and they were appearing in all sorts of interviews, whether it was Rachel Nichols or some other national type. Um, And they were always, you know, happy. You could see them all making decisions together. And the expectation was that Rondo was going to be brought back, and this was only further emphasized at the Pelicans' season-ending presser, where uh, both Del Demps and Alvin Gentry mentioned that Rondo, we want him back. We're going to make sure that he comes back. I mean, they basically placed him on a pedestal 
As for when they talked about DeMarcus Cousins, they said it would take a perfect world, a perfect situation for uh, that scenario to work out. So you could tell that Rondo was number one on the priority list. Cousins came number two. And so it was a shock that, you know, not only did they get either one, but the fact that Rondo left for what was essentially the full MLE money. Now, in hindsight, I'll be honest, Jonathan, a lot of people have kind of backed down from the shock and at first kind of almost a despair. Like, how are we going to move forward? Because this team really relied on him. Now they're kind of happy to see that that full MLE money went to Randall, which is filling in another hole. And you've got to admit, with Rondo, you're not sure what you're going to get on a game-in, game-out basis. Sure, for the big games and especially in the playoffs, he's going to show up. But you know what? There's too many times during the regular season where, honestly, you saw the Rondo with the baggage. You saw the guy that wasn't trying on defense. And, of course, Alvin Gentry was then limiting his minutes, especially in second halves. Uh, there was a lot of fourth quarters where he didn't even reenter games. Mm-hmm. So it, it was kind of a problem in the, in the season. I remember even writing a specific article about that where it kind of looked like this Rondo experiment in New Orleans was headed, you know, going to go off a deep cliff somewhere. But it, things worked out. Things smoothed over. And you know what? When it turned around was when DeMarcus Cousins went down. Yep. Those two guys, for whatever reason it was, could not play well together on the court. And I'm talking about Rondo and Cousins. The team just didn't perform well when they were both on. The defense suffered and the offense was so-so. But when one guy sat, the team played a lot better. Uh, and Alvin Gentry figured this out. That's why I mentioned Rondo finished a lot of games on the bench and Cousins was the one closing. But that all changed when Boogie got hurt. And then we saw Rondo become kind of the guy we envisioned. So for the final, I guess, two months of the season, whatever it was, he pushed the Pelicans to a 20-8 and record. Uh, they mm-hmm. squeezed into that um, playoff spot during the final week of the season by winning. You know, they went on a, what was it? They won five straight games to get into the playoffs. And then, of course, they swept the Portland Trailblazers in a four-game sweep to start round one. So Rondo suddenly went from a guy like Pelican fans couldn't wait to get rid of him, honestly, like about the middle of the season, right around the end of December, to a guy that seemed very necessary and vital to the future. But again, once – once we realized that, you know, he was gone, we kind of remembered all the negatives about him. So everybody's kind of good about that. Now, nobody thinks that Alfred Payton's going to step right in and uh, be able to fill those shoes because that those are big shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to post some assist numbers, those rebound numbers and some steals. But what Rondo did better than anybody was he got our guys, especially Holiday and Davis, going. Uh, he got everybody easy baskets. Somebody I've never seen before do that with Anthony Davis. Sure, mm-hmm. he, he can catch almost any lob on the planet, but – for Drew Holiday, he's always had kind of confidence issues ever since we've landed him. And, of course, he's had his issues both with his family and with his injury leg, injured leg that troubled him for at least a couple of seasons. But Rondo somehow made all that go away, and he made these guys such a cohesive attacking unit that uh, everybody wanted to see him come back. But, again, the hope now is in New Orleans that Alfred Payton can kind of step in, that these guys have matured enough. That, that is, I'm talking about the two leaders, Holiday and Davis, that they're not going to miss him so much, that they've learned what they needed to. They've soaked up all that information by being around him for a year and that they'll be able to move on. But, you know, only time will tell. And it's going to be interesting to see what you guys do in Los Angeles Lakers mm-hmm. because, uh, you know what, this guy loves to have the ball. He likes to dictate everything. And with LeBron James alongside I'm dying to see how this experiment unfolds. <laughs> yeah, we're dying to see it too, or else we might just be dying, period. But, <laughs> you know, I think the hope is Rajon Rondo will be coming off the bench and leading the second unit. And in that respect, things may work out. I guess before we delve deeper into the actual on-court basketball play and how he affected the New Orleans Pelicans and how he might affect the Lakers, 
Could you take me back to when the New Orleans Pelicans first signed Rajon Rondo? And were you and Pelicans fans initially worried about how his big personality would affect the locker room? Had his reputation preceded himself at that point? And then more importantly, were you worried about how his actual on-court fit as a non-shooter whose defense has declined year by year, how that would all shake out with Anthony Davis and, and DeMarcus Cousins and Drew Holiday? Sure. People, yeah, I remember it clearly. As soon as it was announced, Ray Ramondo was signing and coming to New Orleans, everybody was scared to death because all <laughs> you th- thought about was his previous three stops uh, after leaving Boston. And that was, of course, Dallas, Sacramento, and Chicago, where there, there was at least some kind of drama at each stop or downright catastrophe. So, yeah, mm-hmm. everybody was scared to death, and, and including myself. But once I delved into his situations at each stop, you kind of saw a guy who actually had a lot more put on him than, than was right, you know? Like, for instance, in Dallas, everybody knows Rick Carlisle runs the tightest of ships. You have to be a point guard in his system that basically takes command well. Um, initially, even Jason Kidd, I don't know if you remember, kind of struggled with that concept. You know, there was other decent point guards at the time who failed under him, including Jose Calderon. Uh, for whatever reason, you can't be a creative uh, point guard in that system. You have to run things the way Carlisle likes it. And if, if, and if you don't, then you're going to be sitting on a bench. You're going to run into it with him a lot. So that was Rondo's first, you know, kind of uh, big setback that I discovered that really kind of wasn't on him. It was kind of both he and the coach not finding a common ground. So, you know, mm-hmm. you kind of have to write that off. And then, of course, he goes to Sacramento. And as we all know, he kind of starts padding his stats, or at least that's what people said he was. He's on a losing team. He's going to go ahead and try and – as, you know, basically go hunting for assists. And, of course, having DeMarcus Cousins alongside, they developed a great uh, relationship as to where they were both against George Carl, who was then the, their head coach. And so there was a lot of animosity that grew supposedly in that locker room as well as to where really it was DeMarcus Cousins versus George Carl, who I don't know if you remember, Jonathan, but George Carl wanted, you know, numerous times to have Cousins shipped out. So mm-hmm. Rondo actually supposedly tried to mediate some of those tensions where he even set up some meetings between both Carl and Cousins. Oh, interesting. So to me, I think he, he was actually a very good teammate. And Karan Butler actually went and spoke out on his behalf who because he was uh, privy to what happened inside that Sacramento locker room. And he basically backed up everything Rondo said as to where he, he was, a, you know, a class A trooper guy, a perfect teammate who tried to make things better in that, in that difficult organization and locker room. So, you know, you kind of have to almost laud him, even though the results weren't there for Sacramento, but for what Rondo's efforts were. And, of course, in Chicago, I had looked into it, and you know what? All the guys, all his teammates outside of Dwayne Wade and Jimmy Butler loved him. Mm-hmm. Um, Nico Miritich especially. Uh, then, 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 like, Bobby Portis and stuff, they, they loved him simply because he took the time to get to know them, uh, took them under their wing where – you know, the guys either aren't playing or they're struggling. He basically showed them what to do, you know, how to overcome their problems and issues. And he basically become like he became everybody's best buddy. So it was kind of interesting that he had a falling out there with one of the assistant coaches. Um, I forget what the circumstances were. Maybe you'll remember, but something happened during one of the games where there was kind of they, they had an on the court argument, disagreement, whatever mm-hmm. you have as to where then Rondo was already kind of not playing that much. His role had been reduced simply because the fit was bad. You know, whoever thought putting Rondo, Dwayne Wade, and Jimmy Butler together on the same team as starters, you know, doesn't, you know, understand that the NBA's moved out beyond the three-point line. So, again, that wasn't really his fault either. 
So when you kind of look at all those situations individually, you saw that Rondo's actually a much better player than he was given credit for, that he's not such a disturbance. So I was kind of actually more hopeful after I'd done that research and wrote something in the preseason. And sure enough, Rondo proved to be that guy that we had all hope but feared that he wouldn't become. And that was a guy that was a great uh, teammate, a great leader, a great captain, and, and one of the best floor generals in the game. That's incredible. And, and thank you for contextualizing all of those situations one by one. I didn't even know all of those things as well. I had heard tidbits here and there, but the pre- presiding question in my head was, was the Dallas incident with Carlisle more the exception than the rule? And it seems like if you contextualize it the way that you have and, and dig in deeper, kind of seems like it was, and it was more a Carlisle thing. Carlisle is the rule in that in that respect. And it's interesting that even with all the turmoil that happened in Chicago, they almost upset the Celtics if it wasn't for Rajon Rondo going down with a fractured thumb in that series. I, I believe they were up 2-0 in 2016-17 playoffs. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but he averaged 11 points, 8.5 rebounds, 10 assists, 3.5 steals, and they won games one and two against the Celtics. But after he went down, well, it was pretty much over from there for the Chicago Bulls. So it, it's interesting to see how... From afar, the the presiding narrative on Rajon Rondo has kind of carried the perception of him throughout, including including his on court game, and, and people just naturally assuming that he's he's a uh, over the hill, he's a head case and an extreme personality, but also he's just not a good basketball player anymore. When even as recently as last year, and then even the year before that with Chicago, that's just that's just not the case. He can't shoot jump shots and all that stuff, and he doesn't represent the modern NBA point guard, but but the statement that he can't play anymore and that he's over the hill is just not true. So with regards to him being a consummate professional in the Pelicans locker room and being a great confidant to Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday, it seems like they really respected and admired him. So if we extract that out to his actual in-game play, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but when DeMarcus Cousins went down, that's when Rajon Rondo kind of took the reins for the Pelicans. And I think you guys became one of the faster paced teams in the league after that. So if you could describe more about how his gameplay was in that stretch and, and into the playoffs, because he had some incredible games in the playoffs during the uh, the sweep of the Portland Trailblazers and then the competitive five game series they had with the Warriors. Yeah, if you could take us through like what his value was on court for the Pelicans this past season. And I'm more interested in knowing, because I think the Pelicans parallel the Lakers team this year in some respects with regards to... The Pelicans last year didn't have a lot of conventional shooting around Anthony Davis. I know things changed when Miritich came to the team. But how did Gentry mitigate that lack of spacing while playing Rondo starters minutes alongside Drew Holiday? And, and how did things start clicking, really? That, that was a very interesting um, dilemma, almost challenge that the coaching staff faced. And the way they went about in the summer is they hired Chris Finch away from the Denver Nuggets. And if you may remember, the Denver Nuggets a couple of years ago uh, had the best offense, I want to say after Christmas or something like that, where they were even better than the Warriors, the Rockets, mm-hmm. you name it. And they didn't have a legitimate point guard. They just basically ran systems where they just pushed the ball up the court, whether it was through the pass or you know dribbling up the sideline. And they would go run in their offenses and uh, just look for the first good open shot. And so that's what the Pelicans kind of tried to mimic uh, initially by having all this talent. But you know what? It didn't really work out that way, simply because the ball kind of stopped when it ended up in DeMarcus's cousin's hands. Um, 
Rondo wasn't allowed to be Rondo. And you've got to remember, too, he missed the first, I want to say, around first five, six weeks of the season because of an oblique injury he suffered in the preseason. So he was coming out of the gate slowly. So by that time, of course, the team's already played, you know, a month and a half's worth of games. That's where they kind of already established themselves on how they want to do things. And basically the offense ran a lot through DeMarcus Cousins. You had, of course, Drew Holiday bringing the ball up the court. But once they got into their sets, it almost always involved Cousins somewhere near the top of the key, uh, top of the perimeter, as to where he was looking for AD on the block. And they were running all sorts of plays off of that, as to where all the guards, all the wings were running a lot of cuts along the baseline, back screens, uh, sitting on a weak side, wait, waiting for an available pass. Uh, for instance, each one more, that's all he did. He sat out there. And he, you know he's one of the best three-point shooters in the league that a lot of people don't know of. But uh, he, he was instrumental in making that offense go as to where he was providing enough spacing for those two big guys to operate. So when Rondo came back, he had to come back into an offense that wasn't designed at all for his strengths. He's not a guy, as we all know, he's going to go sit in the corner, draw some defenders close to him because he's going to, if he catches the ball, he's going to drill that three ball on you. That's never been his game. And even worse, when the Pelicans were kind of having DeMarcus Cousins or AD bringing the ball up the court, of course, that's doing another disservice to Rondo, and that's the fact you're taking the ball out of his hands. He suddenly can't push the ball in transition, find those easy baskets. So the Pelicans operated much more, um, I want to say, just just better overall in terms of uh, half-court offense, but their, their true nature, their true strength never you know, emerged until DeMarcus Cousins got hurt, and suddenly you had to give the ball to Rondo and basically give him the, the keys to this powerful engine that especially you saw once Nikola Miritich was traded for. As for, you're right, the floor was, was spaced that much more suddenly as for Rondo uh, had now options everywhere. You know, Drew Holiday's a very streaky shooter, but on the other side, he had each one more. And Nikola Miritich, who when they're hot, they're as good as anybody out there and knocking down the three ball. And of course, you've got AD, the best rollman, the best garbage guy, you know, one of the best athletes sitting there floating in, in the uh, free throw lane or in, in the painted area. So that's when the offense really took off. But it, it, it took a while to get there. And it actually, you know, looking back on a lot of Pelicans fans think that it was almost like a decent break for the Pelicans that Cousins went down. Because you know what? Even though they were winning games, we were still losing a lot of bad games. I remember around the New Year's Eve where Rondo was barely even seeing about 20 minutes a game. And the Pelicans had a couple bad losses, say to the Mavericks, who had lost, I forget, Jonathan, but they had lost like 15, 16, 17 straight games. It was some absurd number, mm -hmm. and they lost to them and a bad Knicks team uh, in back-to-back -back games. And, and you saw how low this team was when the components just don't fit, don't play well together. So, you know, it was kind of a blessing in disguise, um, not for DeMarcus, of course, or anybody wants to say that, but when he got injured, that's when truly Rondo – like I said, was able to be himself and show his and play to his strengths. And of course, the Pelicans fed off of him like crazy. And that's when the, you're right, their pace, not only were they one of the league leaders, they were by far and away the leaders in mm. pace uh, after Cousins went down, where I think they even averaged about two or three more possessions than you guys, the Lakers. So wow. yeah, they, they, were, they were a fiery engine, man. And everybody loved watching them play. So everybody thought this was going to happen this year. But of course, you know, things changed. Rondo left town. So It'll be interesting to see how they regroup with him uh, leaving town and Peyton filling those shoes. This is Mike from the Almighty Baller Network. It's nice to have a helping hand, especially when it's tax season, and that hand is attached to a licensed tax professional. With TurboTax Live, you can talk to real CPAs and EAs on demand 
who can review your return with you before you file and to make sure you get your maximum refund. They can even check your work line by line so you can be confident it's done right. Who knew confidence and peace of mind could be synonymous with taxes? TurboTax Live with CPAs and EAs on demand. See details at TurboTax.com. Let TurboTax Live be your helping hand. Visit TurboTax.com today. You know, that comment about pace is exactly what Lakers fans want to hear. So if if you could speak to that a bit and, and tell me, how was Rondo specifically in transition? Did he, how did he get the engine running, essentially? As we know, Rondo has always been one of the best defensive rebounding guards in the league. And once DeMarcus Cousins went down, I'm assuming the transition play really picked up. Guys got easier buckets and Rajon Rondo just pushed the ball. And if you could extrapolate a little bit, obviously this is going to take a lot of give and take on LeBron James' part. And and we'll really find out this year if it is all talk or if he's really willing to walk the walk in terms of saying he doesn't want the ball as much anymore. And if he's willing to play off ball, you just described a perfect symbiotic relationship between Rajon Rondo and Anthony Davis. So if LeBron James can even 50% back off on always holding the ball and, and holding possessions, could you see a beneficial partnership there? DeMarcus Cousins is a he's a high usage player that needs the ball a lot as well, right? And I'm assuming that's why that pairing with Rajon Rondo didn't work out as well. Now, there are differences between DeMarcus Cousins and LeBron James, obviously. LeBron James is a more athletic and efficient player, and if he wants to, he can really run up and down. But if you could extrapolate a little bit how you think if LeBron James buys in, and, and we're not even talking about 100% buys in, but buys in in terms of lowering his usage down, how you think that'll work out with Rajon Rondo. And again, just if you could pinpoint his transition play and how he might help the Lakers. Yeah, to be a good, fast-paced transition team, you've got to have several things going for you. First, you've got to be a good rebounding team and have good rebounding guards. And that's what Rondo is. He's going to go in there and try and get the, those longer rebounds. And that right there starts your break. He gets one of those rebounds, he's gone. Next thing you need is you need to have viable wings for him to pass it to. They're getting down that court in a hurry. And the Pelicans had that in Holiday and more. As to where at the beginning of the season, they still were running, filling those lanes quicker. But you know what? Both Davis and Cousins were ill-equipped to get them those passes. And therefore, you saw the Pelicans have oh, so many high turnover games. As for once Rondo came back and he was now that decision maker making those long 30-foot or so passes, they were being connected. And the Pelicans, of course, got a lot of easy hoops that way. And suddenly that, that helps speed up your transition. And then uh, uh, third is, of course, just having that commitment overall to having all five guys pushing it. Um, you know, DeMarcus Cousins, for all of his greatness, for all, for all those good attributes, he really does bring on the court. One of the biggest significant weaknesses was his ability to get down the court in a hurry. And at times, if things aren't going his way, uh, he, he would really slodge back, sometimes taking even up to 10 seconds or more just crossing half court. So that, again, is going to kill your transition where you're not going to ever have numbers uh, going the other way. So Rondo basically, like I said, he's the prime guy to be able to run this game, to run that transition break. But you still need to have other players around him that are willing uh, to fill their roles that are necessary to make it successful. So it was kind of a two-way street. Rondo, of course, with his intelligence, his ability to thread any kind of needle. And, of course, you've got to have those recipients, those quick legs getting down there, knowing when to make cuts, you know, where to be on the court. You need to have that chemistry. You've got to develop all those bonds. 
But I can foresee that it working out with the Lakers because they're used to running. And you know, Rondo is going to quickly learn all your guys, uh, their strengths, their weaknesses, where they're best at on the court, you know, where they're best at putting the ball in the hoop, the highest percentage shots for each individual. And he's going to try and get them the ball there. Because this guy, all he does is watch video. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was astounded at how much he knew about opponents, about his own guys, even, you know, coming right out of training camp. And it's actually legendary. You know, you go read about it. I don't think there's been a player, honestly, maybe ever, that has studied film as much as Rondo. So that right there is going to make you guys – it's going to put you guys in a good situation, especially Luke Walton. Now, of course, it's going to come down to that trust. Does Luke Walton basically let him run free? And does LeBron James acquiesce to giving up what? I mean, if they're spending the course, say, for half the time Rondo's out there, so for maybe 15, 18 minutes a game – does he allow Rondo to push the ball, say, the majority of the time? Because that's what it's going to take. For Rondo to really feel included and get the feel for the game, he's going to have to have that ball most of the times, even if LeBron's out there on the court. Now, of course, if Walton and LeBron agree to all this, then you know what? I don't see any reason why it wouldn't work. You guys have some very good athletes out there, good shooters, and you know LeBron's still one of the best <laughs> too. So maybe it would be good for him to fill in the lane or two as well. Um, if, if they all do that, if they all come in there on the same page, then yeah, I absolutely can see it working. But, you know, I've got to bring this up, Jonathan, is you, you look around LeBron and of course he signed that four year deal, but you know what? A lot of his teammates, a lot of these new teammates, they're all in one year deals. So in the NBA, it's great to win. It's great to play for the team, but you know, what? at the end of the day, you're still playing for that next paycheck. So I'm curious to see how it really does work when you've got Rondo McGee, um, who else? Michael Beasley. Um, and I forget that I'm forgetting a couple more guys, but so it'll be curious to see how all this works out. You know, hope if they get off to a good, strong start, that'll definitely help things. But yeah, that, that trust Walton and LeBron are going to have to have it in Rondo and vice versa. No, you're absolutely correct. It's going to be a delicate balance the entire season because I'm sure these guys know the Lakers plans for 2019. It's, it's not a secret whatsoever. And if we're looking at the numbers, all of these guys probably will not be returning to the Lakers unless they're willing to come back on veteran exceptions, you know? So maybe if they buy in, maybe they're playing for a long-term contract to be a Lakers role player for the minimum. But I don't know if Rajon Rondo is ready to settle for that, you know? So it's going to be interesting to see how they juggle that aspect of things in terms of guys who want to prove it, have something to prove, and are still playing for their next contract, whether that be a big contract next year, or just another long-term contract for 2019. And so, you know, one thing that really surprised me about Rondo, and, and maybe this is just a Lakers fan in me, because he's, all I remember from Rondo is Boston Celtics Rondo, and then all of the tarnished reputation and relationships that he's had along the way after Boston. And so my initial reaction to the Lakers getting Rajon Rondo was just like, oh my God, what are we doing? This is ridiculous. I thought LeBron wanted shooters. This guy is a head case. We already got Lance Stevenson. But I have to tell you, Ollie, I don't think I've turned around on a player as quickly as I have with Rajon Rondo. As soon as I let the emotions kind of dissipate, and I took a deep breath and really dug into his gameplay, who he is as a person, I was just astounded by how smart he is, how well-spoken he is, how mature he seems. He seems like one of the most interesting cats to just have a conversation with and, and get dinner with. Yeah, no, his intelligence is ex- extremely high and noticeable. 
because, uh, you know, in covering the team, not only was I there in pre and post game, but I went to a lot of practices. And I'll tell you what, if you misspoke, if you kind of were just flat out wrong about either a fact or an assumption, and I clearly remember somebody asking him early in the season about calling the San Antonio Spurs uh, one of the best offensive rebounding teams or something to that effect. And he had to correct them, basically say no. And you could see how much interest he <laughs> lost in answering the question any further or even replying to that reporter. So, yeah, this guy is, is, is one of the smartest guys I've ever come across as a basketball player. And, um, you know, I'll be honest with you. I don't feel like there's going to be a problem between him and LeBron. What I envision is where does Lonzo Ball fit? Because, you know, what, you can have enough as where you play a fast-paced game, uh, an attacking-style game as to where guys, high-usage guys like LeBron and uh, Rajon Rondo with the ball uh, can work. But Lonzo Ball, I'm not certain there's enough for a third guy as to where then you've got all these support role players trying to get theirs as well, you know, including Lance Stevenson, who likes to have the ball. So I'm just I'm, – that's where I'm befuddled. I swear, yeah, you mentioned at first you're right. LeBron, surround them all with shooters. That's the way it should work. That's the way the plan has accordingly gone for Cleveland. And suddenly they didn't do it with Rondo. And, and once you delve in deeper, you can see it'll work. But like I said, they've got more than just Rondo and LeBron on there that you've got to question their fit. So I'm going to be looking at that. And maybe you can expunge on that a little bit further. But how does Lonzo Ball fit into this with Rondo now being there, you know, on the Los Angeles Lakers? You've got to think he's going to be trying to fight for as many minutes as he can get. No, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how all of that shakes out. And I think the one benefit of Lonzo Ball is that theoretically – as his shot continues to improve and maybe he regresses to the mean in terms of how good of a shooter he was in at UCLA. If that ends up happening and maybe not to a hundred percent level, but let's say he, he regains 75% of who he was as a shooter at UCLA. Well, Lonzo Ball's always been, even though he averages seven assists a game, the way that he gets, gets his assists, as opposed to Rondo, who kind of needs the ball in his hands, and he kind of pounds the rock a little bit more. Lonzo Ball's always been more of a, he pitches it out. He's like the hockey assist guy, right? Somehow he still gets seven assists without necessarily dribbling the ball as many times as a, as a prototypical point guard would. And in essence, Lonzo Ball has shown himself to be a pretty adept off-ball player. So... In that respect, I could see it working. I, I don't necessarily see Rondo, Lonzo, and LeBron being out on the court altogether, even for five minutes at a time. But yeah, it should be interesting. I think if Le- if Lonzo progresses as a shooter, then I could see him playing more minutes with, with Rajon Rondo. But right now, I envision them as pretty much Luke Walton staggering the, the two. And it's interesting because the Lakers, I don't think there's ever been a team in NBA history who had three top 10 players with regards to assists on one team. Mm-hmm. And this year, the Lakers have that in Rajon Rondo, LeBron James, and Lonzo Ball. Obviously, those numbers are probably going to go down, but it'll be interesting to see how pace plays into that. And maybe if they're playing at such a high pace, maybe there's there's points and usage to go around in that respect, But but we'll see. So I wanted to ask you, and, and kind of going back to your point about how smart he is and just how much video he watches, it, it was funny to learn that on the day that he signed his contract with the Lakers and was doing some media availability, apparently right after that, he went to one of the Lakers staff members and said, hey, who's your video guy? I want video on all of these guys right now. And for me, I was like, that is amazing. You know, I think hearing that 
makes you get on board with Rajon Rondo so quickly as a fan. Hearing that type of stuff is so endearing and so encouraging. And I think that's one of the reasons why Kobe Bryant respected him so much as a competitor. And so that I think that can only help the Lakers' youth and, and young core in terms of having a leader like that if he embraces that mentorship role. And so before we get back into, I guess, some on-court basketball play, could you talk to whether or not Rondo shifted his mentality a little bit with regards to his self-awareness as a basketball player? Now, I know that might be hard because he had such a great playoff run with the Pelicans and they closed the season out under his helm. But how how do you see his self-awareness as a basketball player now? Do you think he's embraced his role more as a mentor? He said, He said all the right things in his interview, his media opening interview with the Lakers saying that whether he's off the bench or starting, he's here to help Lonzo Ball and he wants to win. But do you believe that? And from everything I've heard from the Chicago Bulls, he really did a good job mentoring their youth as well. Did you feel that from the Pelicans or do you think something shifted with him having such a strong close to his season? No, I absolutely agree with you. I believe in him, and when he says that, he's he's going to basically follow through with that. He um, he did the same thing as you mentioned. Chicago he did the same thing in New Orleans. Like I said, anytime Alvin Gentry reduced his minutes, he didn't have a problem with that. As to where he he was never outspoken, he was still cheering on the sidelines, uh, coaching guys up on the sidelines, making sure in the right spots. No, he he's a total team player. All this guy really truly cares about is winning. After he signs the contract and he knows he's getting paid every week, um, he is going to do everything in his power to win. And that doesn't mean playing 36 minutes a game anymore. And he understands that. Mm. And uh, everybody's kind of gotten that vibe from him over the last few years. So you shouldn't be concerned on that front at all. Um, As far as um, I think everything else he brings to the table, you've got to wonder. The biggest thing with him and the challenge is – does he agree with the direction, with the play calling, with the strategies? Because mm. he does like to go out on his own at times because he truly thinks he knows best. And Alvin Gentry gave him a lot of freedom to allow him to do that um, because he sees the floor while he's out there. And you know what? More times than not, Rondo will make the right decision. And when he feels empowered like that, he uh, you can almost tell he definitely takes his game to another level um, where he's, he's given 110% more, it seems like, honestly. Because that's where you'll see him. If there's any kind of issues going on, you're going to see it suffer on defensively. That's where he's not trying to fight through screens. He's kind of lazily trying to switch off on some guy. Or if he's a, you know, his uh, assignment is kind of a poor shooter, he's just flat out going to give them ten feet of airspace, uh, basically, you know, disrespecting them entirely. I remember him doing it consistently against uh, Ricky Rubio last season, and uh, so that, that's what you've got to look for. Is does is he going to get that um, freedom to basically call every play or every other play, make enough decisions out there on the court? Because that's truly what it's about to him. It's not just playing the game. He sees everything as like a chessboard. And so he likes to think things through. And once he does that, if he's not allowed to dictate the next moves, next couple of moves, then suddenly he's going to be kind of turned off. That's like almost any kind of genius in the world today. You know, if, if they're bored, you know, obviously their mind's going to wander. They're going to just basically tune out. So that, that's going to be your biggest concern with Rondo, I think. Um, it's not going to be anything about his minutes on whether he's going to be a team player um, and, and looking to help your team overall. It's just 
is the team going to trust him enough to make the decisions? Because that's what he truly loves to do. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, but one of his favorite things in the world to do is play Connect Four. You know, it's yep. kind of a, a board game. And he's renowned as being one of the best. <laughs> so that shows you right there how much he values the, the mentality, kind of the thought, the, the thinking part of the game more than anything else. So if, as long as Coach Walton gives him that, and like I said, LeBron James doesn't suffocate him, which he's known to do. LeBron, you know, for as great as he is, you've got to realize he kind of suffocated a lot of teammates up there in Cleveland and even before in Miami, before it all clicked. You know, Chris Bosh had to take a huge secondary role uh, for that system to work in Miami. Of course, Kyrie Irving left, Cle- left Cleveland. So you just got to hope that something similar doesn't happen in L.A. with LeBron. And, of course, Luke Walton kind of just completely deferring the, the king himself, too. Um, if they don't, then everything will be fine. But one thing for sure you don't have to worry about, Jonathan, is Rondo will accept his role. But you just got to make sure he feels involved enough as to where he's on the court. He's a decisive decision maker. Mm, that That is some great insight. And it sounds like Luke Walton's got his work cut out for him this year. And, and like you said, I think it's so important to establish that trust and respect early on, especially with someone like Rajon Rondo. And I actually had a question in here about whether you or whether you felt that quirky savantness from Rondo. And from judging from what you've been telling me, it sounds like he is a savant, you know? And I, I heard this one story before about how Rajon Rondo would watch movies and if the plot points of the movie didn't make any sense, he'd literally just walk out of the theater because he was so pissed off. And so just stories like that are so interesting. And and some of the basketball stories you're telling me kind of line up with that and the type of person he is um, and how it seems like he always demands greatness and things to be explained in a logical manner because he is always looking at all these angles and he does feel like he knows more than other people and he knows the situation better than anyone. So I think that's just, just such an interesting dynamic that he brings to the Lakers this season. And if they're able to productively work things out here, they may end up getting such high return for Rondo. But I, I think, like you said, you could also see it becoming a combustible situation, right? With someone as smart as him and also someone who views himself with such high self-worth. Uh, it, it could easily become a combustible situation if things aren't monitored properly and, and managed correctly with all these personalities. So I guess to, to close this show... I wanted to ask you, is playoff Rondo real? In nine games in the playoffs this year with the Pelicans, he averaged 10 points, 7.6 rebounds, 12 assists, 1.4 steals. He only shot 41% from the field, but he did shoot 42% from three, uh, almost making one a game. So if you could talk about, did you see that switch flipped on? Even though he did end up leading the Pelicans down the second half of the season to a pretty good record and pretty much restructured the way they played for the better, did, did something turn on even more so when the playoffs started? And with regards to his defense, I think he's been on record as saying he doesn't really try anymore. <laughs> but in, in a pinch, can Rajon Rondo still bring it on that end? And if he really is focused on winning and everything else is clicking with regards to respecting his teammates and, and, and his teammates trying to extract the best out of him and he sees that everybody's working hard on their own and doing their part, do you think in a pinch and in limited minutes and in more short bursts that Rajon Rondo can still be 
a defensive force or is that part of his game just gone at this point okay sure yeah first i'll address the uh, playoff rondo and i'll tell you what in my eyes i think it is a real thing there's been studies and, and i've seen analysis done as to where there's a marginal improvement when it comes to uh, big games and uh, the playoffs in terms of his uh, effectiveness and uh, contributions production what have you but mm-hmm. I noticed when, when the games were bigger, when they meant more, when, when it was coming down the wire this season, the Pelicans were fighting for not just making the playoffs, but also a seeding. And, of course, once in the playoffs, his energy and effort level really was through the roof. Um, at the start of the season, the first three months or so, you noticed that he took kind of like a veteran does oftentimes. You know, we've heard of Kobe Bryant, you know, LeBron James, all these guys, when they get older, all these vets, they look to find a – spot on the floor or a time during a game where they can kind of conserve energy. And that's what Rondo kind of does. And he usually did it defensively and, uh, or, or just maybe on a few plays where he just doesn't hustle uh, completely, whether it's running a play or defensively, what have you, you know, playing man to man, switching, uh, playing good team defense. And so you saw all those laps as early as season. Like I said, I wrote an article about that where I, you know, I looked at video and, and I took some clips down and uh, wrote about him because it was right there. The evidence was right in front of you. Mm-hmm. This guy does take some plays off and uh, or sometimes during whole games defensively, he was just a no-show. And, uh, you, you know, that was kind of by choice, you have to think, with him as to where he's just conserving or maybe he just was a little bit bored. And, and you know, this is just emotions, like I said, that a lot of veterans end up going through that even greats get lamented mm-hmm. for lacking. And I, I mean – I can't talk about Kobe Bryant enough, but he was always, you know, drilled not only for his poor offensive efficiency, but his lack of defensive intensity, and just like LeBron's going through now. So it's, it's not just Rondo. So you've got to understand that. But as to where can he still bring it? Yes, he can. He doesn't have it in him as to where he can play, you know, for the full 24-second shot clock and go switch, you know, switch to switch to where the versatility is there. They can body up for a player or two. He's kind of now lost a step, even though he still remains pretty strong uh, physically. Uh, his speed and his lateral quickness isn't quite the same. And he, and he truly, he does like to gamble. And you know what? Oftentimes, he, it, it paid off. You know, he came up with a big steal that led to an easy transition basket. But um, like I said, in a pinch, though, he, he will bring it for the big games. And in the playoffs, you can count on him to give him give the Lakers their full uh, – or his full effort for, you know, the full time he's out there. But – you can't definitely count on a game the game anymore. And as far as being a lockdown defender, those days are in the past as well. <laughs> Pelicans often hit him on guys, um, whether the games were big or small, whether they knew he was up or not. That you had Drew Holiday taking the the best uh, opposing assignment on the wing, and then each one more usually got the second guy. So Rondo was always on that third guy. And if that third guy suddenly found some space, they would have big games. And like I said, I remember Ricky Rubio because you know what. Rondo dared him enough, and Ricky Rubio burned him for at least a couple of games. Where I know one game he came, he maybe he surpassed thirty points. I'm not sure, but you know he lit him up, and mm-hmm. so Gentry was pissed as hell. And you could see him storming in the game. And I think Rondo's minutes were limited, definitely in that game. And you had instances like that. But like I said, what you what you need from Rondo is he's not going to be that two way player anymore. He's, his mileage is way up there, guys. And you, so you're basically just signing him for his brilliance and his ability for the, a lot of intangibles and for the chemistry he brings. Um, but don't ask for too much more because he's just not that complete player. But like I said, when the moment does get really big, he will step everything up and put everything out there. 
And uh, so you, you should be happy with that. Um, but other than that, yeah, don't, don't, don't get your expectations too high and looking at what he used to do in a Boston uniform because those days are gone. No, sure. And that's perfect context and qualifying in terms of helping us temper our expectations. But to be honest, just all the talk about who he is as a teammate and a locker room guy and how he thinks the game, I think, is more than enough for Lakers fans and to get them excited because all of the intangibles and projecting out the ways that he could potentially help such a young team continue to grow is exciting. And obviously things could all go wrong and he's still a volatile player. And and with all these one-year contracts, yeah, things could go wrong. But if things even shake out marginally as well as they did with the New Orleans Pelicans and, and the guys can extract the most they can from learning from someone like Rajon Rondo, who's literally been through everything. I, I mean, I just think this could be like a such a beneficial relationship for the Lakers. I don't know how much it's going to be for Rajon Rondo. I don't know if he's going to be here through even the trade deadline this year. But I'm excited in all the ways that Rajon Rondo can help mentor and shepherd all of our young guys while also kind of gaining a rapport with LeBron James as well. So that should all be interesting to see. It's funny and interesting to me to to learn about how intelligent and analytical this guy is, and yet his offensive game didn't necessarily reflect that in terms of not being a good shooter. But I guess every, everywhere else it does, right? In terms of the passing angles, being able to orchestrate an offense and, and play defense well in his heyday. So to me, I, I just he's such a unique and interesting player that I want to continue to learn about and unpack. So we want to thank you again for just coming on and just giving us all of your insight. It, it was honestly very enlightening. And um, yeah, thank you for coming on. And and once again, if you want to just plug all of your social sites and anything you have coming down the pipeline, please go ahead and do so. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Jonathan. It was good talking about him, I guess, maybe one last time in depth. And I'll be curious, like I said, to watch from afar. And I hope it works out for you guys. I really do. It's just going to take a good situation. And uh, like I said, a lot of trust by everybody in that locker room with him, coaching, staff, and players included. Mm -hmm. But if it does, then, yeah, you guys will have somebody that's really going to help the team. Um, As for myself, you can follow all of our work at The Bird Rights. We're located on SB Nation, all of our articles, podcasts. Usually we've got something for you guys up there daily, as well as check out all of our social sites on Facebook and on Twitter under The Bird Rights, where you can follow me at Ollie Cosell my full name awesome thank you ollie and we wish you the best with julius randall please take care of him once again (laughs) we will (laughs) and yeah thank you for rajon rondo and all the insight you were able to provide tonight best of luck this season Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents, which means you're going to start telling your kids to clean up before the cleaning lady comes. Doesn't make sense, but you're the parent and they're the kids. You're going to start telling them that now, too. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. And there's your opening to remind them who pays the bills around here. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.
This is what Flo from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi, did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi, you have high cholesterol. Hi, you're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi, there's no more pain. Yeah, even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.